And we are in the uh, book of Daniel and at a very excellent spot uh, for this time of year. When we think of the book of Daniel, as uh, I might have said last time, several weeks ago, introducing chapter 9, which is where we are, that when you think of Daniel, you often think of, uh, you know, the beasts and the horns and, and the book of Revelation, uh, maybe Matthew 24. Uh, we think about the, the Son of Man coming in the clouds. All, all great themes and all true, uh, no doubt. And as we have studied uh, this, and of course, you know, we, um, in our Tuesday night Chavurah group and Wednesday morning men's Bible study there, uh, we actually have completed the book of Daniel. Uh, but uh, on Shabbat morning, we're, we're still in the ninth chapter. And uh, in our studies, we have looked at all these things and trying to understand the big picture of what they're saying to us. Uh, and here in uh, chapter 9, in the first 20 verses or so, is one of the most underrated, uh, overlooked passages uh, that I can think of. I know there are others as well, but you have this tremendous prayer uh, of confession that Daniel prays. And uh, it is a prayer. There are similar prayers in Nehemiah, for example, uh, similar uh, in 1 Kings, I can think of, and then similar phrases in different parts of the Bible. But it is, uh, it is amazing how Daniel prays this prayer. The context is, is that he realizes that the 70 weeks of captivity are almost over. And he is a student of the Word of God. And it is quite clear from the words and phrases that he uses in this prayer, not only is he aware of Jeremiah and the, you know, about, as, as he says at the beginning of, of the chapter, but it's quite clear that he's also quite familiar with the book of Deuteronomy uh, and perhaps other uh, places uh, as well. And so he doesn't, it's interesting, he doesn't just pray, well, Lord, time is up, give me a sign. Let me see that, 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 that the time has come. He doesn't ask for any of that. What he does is he prays this tremendous prayer of confession. And there's a lot for us to learn from that. As uh, in our popular culture, as Messiah followers, we like to seek signs and, and is this it? Is that it? Is that the date? Is that happening? You know, I, perhaps it would be wise if we focused more on the, the repentance aspect of all of this than seeking out anything else and confessing in a way very much like Daniel does. So uh, we talked about the first few verses several weeks ago, uh, which tells us what, what the time period was, and he understood that the 70 years was almost over. And then we also looked in verse 3, he says, So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek Him. We talked about that by prayer and supplication, right? Chanan uh, or Tachanun, right? We talked about that. Uh, with mercy, praying for mercy is what that means. With fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. So he loads it up, you know, fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Uh, it's interesting, if you uh, look this up, you'll see that there's only two other places in the Bible where someone prays with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes, all right? 
Uh, you might see fasting without the sackcloth and ashes, and you might see the sackcloth and ashes without the fasting, but all three together, you have it in several places, one of them being the book of Esther. But the point is, is that he lo- we're going to see this several places, even today, where he loads up these phrases, you know, to make a point that he is in mourning. He is, this is uh, the way a person comes when they're personally grieving over sin, grieving over their situation. And that is what is conveyed to us when Daniel prays this way. Prayer, supplication. Remember just in case we weren't here, you don't remember that in every shacharit, in every morning service, there is a section called tachanun. Okay? Now it comes from the word chanan, which means grace, all right, or favor. And show us, so tachanun, show us favor. And there's a part of that morning uh, uh, prayer where you physically uh, put your forehead on your arm and bend forward, whether you're sitting at a table or you're just sitting in a, in a chair, and you pray a particular prayer of confession. Lord, please uh, forgive me. So that is uh, what Daniel is doing here. Then it says in verse 4, And I prayed to the Lord God and confessed and said. Now, it's interesting. Sometimes in a, in a Bible, in an English a Bible translation, the paragraphs will be such that the translator is trying to make a point by the way the paragraphs are laid out. So I have a particular Bible, uh, English translation, that uh, verses 1 to... Uh, the, to that first part of verse 4 is like in a, is in a block. And then uh, it, right after it says, confessed and said, the rest of it has like um, um, the margins are, are more, uh, are wider. So that it, it, it's like he confessed and said, and then there's the rest of the prayer, like separated from everything else. And I thought that's kind of interesting, Okay that it is indeed a prayer of confession that has a lot of different parts to it. And what a great model uh, it is for us. So first, he confessed. What does that mean? He confessed and said. So the Hebrew word here uh, is rooted in yada, to know. All right, yada. And actually, if you look at the word, you could find the letters to make todah. Right? We know what todah is, right? Thank you, right? Thank you. Uh, and so I, I, the root of that is to know. And so, uh, so it's very interesting that uh, this particular word is used uh, to mean confess, to mean thank, and sometimes also to mean praise. And what we do when we confess, when we thank, what we, when we praise, what they have in common is that we are declaring something that is true in varieties of contexts. But we're declaring something that is true. So when we confess a sin, we're declaring that it's true. I have sinned. I'm ag- we like to say agree, right? I'm agreeing with, uh, with the Bible. I'm agreeing with God about my sin. It's different from the word admit. Admit means I got caught, whether I agree with it or not. All right, you got me. You know, inside of me, I'm still doing that thing. You know, uh, but 
uh, you got me. Yeah, all right, I did it. You know, that's admit. Confess is, yes, it was wrong. You are right. I am guilty, and I feel the guilt of what I did. That is what confess it, it means. And so it's interesting. It comes from that word yada, to know. All right? Uh, and of course, we know from the Brit Hadashah that confession is a very healthy is a, a very healthy endeavor for us, right? There's a very famous passage in First uh, John chapter one and verse nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so even though we may be Messiah followers, even though we may know the Lord, we still sin, right? In fact, the next verse says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Gee, what are you really trying to say, you know? Uh, it's pretty strong language there. So, I do not uh, feel like, you know, I've sinned, I've messed up, now God has finished with me. No, no, not at all. No. He desires that we run to him, that we confess our sins. And sometimes, uh, you know, and we also read about confessing our sins one to another, that in the body of Messiah, uh, it is the body of Messiah. And so sometimes it is helpful, and not only helpful, but absolutely uh, cleansing for us and uh, necessary to confess our sins to another person, because I don't know about you, but when I confess my sins to God, sometimes it's hard for me to feel the same way inside of me as if I'm looking at somebody and telling them what I did. You know, when I, if I have to tell somebody, you know, horizontally, tell someone, I might get like sweaty palms, I might like get butterflies in my stomach, and I, I Oy, you know, but if I'm confessing to God, it's Lord, I did this. here's my laundry list today. Boop, thanks, you know. Uh, and so it's helpful to confess our sins one to another, you know. It is a, a very helpful and uh, oftentimes necessary, and that's what it means to be accountable one to another. But that's another story. The point is for us is that confession is uh, necessary for us as believers. And of course, we're confessing our sins to God, even if it is through the means and process of confessing our sins one to, one to another. But the point is, is that we uh, confess our sins. Okay, so that was the focus of uh, Daniel, all right? All right, so he says then, alas, O Lord, alas is kind of a funny word, isn't it? Now, that's what I have in, in my translation. You might have another word like O oh, or something like that. O oh, or, you know, really, a great one would be oi. You know, oi, you know, oh Lord, the great and awesome God. Okay, let's just stop right there. So, you know, alas, it kind of reminds, just reminds me of an old black and white movie where everyone's speaking in, in, with, with an, a British accent or something. Alas, who? No. He's, he is, remember, he's fasting, sackcloth, ashes. Oy, oh Lord, the great and awesome God. When he says great and awesome God, he's, he is saying, like the, 
the, the, the, the, the, the, the all-powerful one to whom we are all accountable. That is really what he is saying. Okay? Yes, great, big. In fact, literally it means big, right? <laughs> the big God, right? The great, big, you know, bigger than life, bigger than anything, God. And then awesome, you know, uh, nora. Uh, yes, means awe, but that's like the fourth meaning of the word, if I can be perfectly honest with you. You know, the word really means to be feared, to be feared. But because of, uh, we know that as he continues to say, you know, who keeps his covenant and shows loving kindness to those who love him and so on, it doesn't mean fear like we're an ant and he's the big thumb and he's about to, you know, kill us. Fear as, in he, uh, as if God is capricious and we can't quite figure him out and maybe, he, you know, uh, he's just going to breathe down fire and destroy us. We fear him because he is the, the, uh, the awesome God, the great big God, right? Uh, but to whom we are accountable. And so there is a level of fear, just like uh, a student and a teacher, one might say. You know, one might have a, a wonderful teacher, but, if, but you, you fear the uh, disappointment. You fear the, the red pen on the paper, uh, you know, uh, or uh, a parent and a child. Certainly, it is wonderful when children see their parents as, you know, awesome uh, and wow and revere them. But what goes into that is a fear because they are the ones to whom we are accountable, okay? And so the reason he has sackcloth and ashes and he's fasting is because in this prayer of confessing sins, he begins by putting God in his right place. You are the great and awesome God. You know, we've sinned. So do we get the, uh, the emotion that Daniel is feeling here? It's not just... Let's sing a great song about how wonderful God is. No, that has its place, but that's not what this means. Great and awesome God. It's, you're the great and awesome God. You know, we have sinned. And frankly, it's very interesting that uh, in most Hebrew prayers, traditional uh, you know, Jewish prayers in a siddur, right? Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe. Boy, when you take that apart, uh, that, is, uh, that is a tremendous statement that we say. Lord, our God, King of the universe. Wow. That is the one whom we're addressing. That is the one with whom we have to do. And we're reminded of that every time we pray. See? And so as Daniel begins his prayer, he is reminded of who he is. Alas, O Lord, and he uses yud heh vav -Hey here. So that's uh, important. In other words, the personal name of the God of Israel. Okay? The great and awesome God. And then he says, who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. What a uh, great balanced uh, statement. So this great and God to be feared who keeps his covenant. 
Now, it's um, uh, very interesting. You know, the word for keep doesn't mean keep like keep it in his pocket, okay, or keep it in a safe place. It, it, means, it means something different here. It really means like to guard, who protects his covenant, who makes sure that, in other words, that nothing happens to the uh, uh, covenant, see? Uh, and so he guards the covenant. He protects the covenant. The covenant is precious to him. He keeps the covenant. By the way, that's when we talk about like keeping Shabbat, right? That's what it means. Not keep it like, um, just keep it in a safe place, but guard it, protect it. And the way that we experience it, uh, you know, is what we're doing in protecting and, and, and guarding this, this uh, 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 great uh, uh, day, uh, Shabbat. And so God keeps his covenant. Covenant, of course, is promise. He guards that promise. And so here, they're in captivity, right? Uh, and uh, Daniel prays, God, you are great and you are awesome. And we, yes, indeed have sinned, agreeing with God about this captivity. But he also is reminded that you are the one who guards your, guards your covenant, guards your promise. That means that even though they're in this captivity, Daniel knows that God has not forsaken them. Yes, they're paying the price, the consequences of their sin, yet God guards his covenant. He will never leave them or forsaken them, even if he must, must judge them for uh, a, uh, a season, right? And loving kindness. Chesed. Chesed. Loyal love. He's loyal. And, and so when it says, keeps his covenant and loving kindness, keep, and essentially keeps his covenant and keeps his loving kindness, protects his loving kindness, demonstrates his loving kindness, Loyal love and keeping the covenant, again, are two phrases that tell us the emphasis of what he's saying. In other words, keeping his covenant and showing loving kindness are very similar concepts. Loving kindness is God's loyal love. He's loyal to his love. Keeping his promise is being loyal to his love. And so he is emphasizing the greatness of God, the, the fear of God, and at the same time, he is emphasizing the love of God that he has for us. And that, may I suggest, is the reason why he goes to God. Because he knows that even though they've been in captivity for 70 years, he knows that God is still the source of deliverance. God is the one, yes, who judges, but God is the one who saves God is the one who delivers. And so he goes uh, uh, to God. And you know, this is kind of similar to uh, the beginning of Psalm 51 and the beginning of Psalm 42. You can read them on your own. But in both of those cases, one is David is, depre one is, David is depressed, Psalm 42. And in Psalm 51, David is confessing his sin. And in both cases, uh, he goes to God with empty pockets basically, and, uh, and cries out to God and says, basically, God, I have nothing. Show me your grace, your mercy. I'm thirsty for you. Give me more of you. And so he cries out to God in his depression and in his guilt. 
He doesn't run away from God. He doesn't hide from God. He doesn't think, oh no, God hates me. Now he's going to do away with me. Now I'm uh, outside of the covenant. Now I'm lost forever. No, he runs to God. David runs to God in those Psalms. And Daniel here runs to God, uh, covering himself, in a sense, bearing the guilt of an entire nation. Notice what he says in verse 5. We have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, and rebelled, even turning aside from thy commandments and ordinances. Okay? So here, he is confessing the sins of the nation. We have sinned. Very important, we. Not just himself. In fact, we don't read too much about Daniel's sins uh, in the book of Daniel. But we know that the reason that they're in the captivity is because of sin. And Daniel uh, is paying the price for the sins of the nation as well as everyone else. He says, we have sinned. Okay? We have committed iniquity. We have done wrong. Perversion, you might say. We have acted evilly and rebelled. Again, you see a stack of words that are all similar to each other. It isn't necessary for us to uh, uh, cut them all uh, apart, uh, but they're making a big point. We've sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, and rebelled, even turning away from your commandments and and ordinances. Uh, and, And so... He's saying, we have really sinned badly. We have done terrible things. Not just, Lord, you know, we, we tried, but we couldn't get it right. Or No, we have done evil things before you, Lord. And he identifies uh, himself uh, with, uh, with the nation. Okay? All right. Now, he also uh, goes on to say, here in verse 6, moreover, and, and, and moreover here uh, means uh, something to the effect of, and by extension, including this, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. So he is again saying, we have not listened. When he says we, now he's really uh, calling out the kings, the princes, our fathers, and the people of the land. You spoke to them. We have not listened. And we are familiar uh, with these uh, prophets like uh, Jeremiah uh, and Isaiah uh, and Hosea, all of them who continually had basically one message for the people, right? And the message was, repent, turn from your sins. The message of the prophets was, uh, you think that you are high and mighty. You think uh, that because you are the called ones of Israel, that nothing's going to happen. 
This is especially true in, um, in Jeremiah. In Jeremiah, uh, chapter 7 is one place in particular. I mean, there's lots of them. He calls them out for not listening. That's what's interesting here. Okay? He says, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house, and proclaim there this word, and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah, who enter these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words, saying, This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. So, I mean, get the visual on this. Daniel, uh, Daniel, Jeremiah is standing like, you know, if you've ever been to Israel, like where we'll be next year, and you're on the southern steps, right? Imagine uh, Jeremiah standing right there on those southern steps and saying, hey, everybody who's coming in here. (laughs) He says, amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. You know, who do you think you are, Jeremiah? Do not trust in deceptive words, saying, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. I would love to hear his tone of voice when he said this. They're trusting in deceptive words. The deceptive words are, nothing can happen to this place. After all, we are Israel. We're the Jewish people. Okay, you know, uh, uh, God may chasten us in some way, but nothing can happen to the temple. This is the temple of the Lord. And you can just hear him saying, you're listening to deceptive words saying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Blah, 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 blah. Yada, yada, yada. You know? Uh, And that's what they're listening to. And he says, For if you will truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly practice justice between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the alien, the orphan, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, nor walk after other gods to your own ruin, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Behold, you are trusting in deceptive words, to no uh, avail. And so, I mean, I could go on and on in this chapter, but there's a lot of places that we could turn where, uh, you know, in in the book of Amos, in the sixth chapter, those of you that are at ease in Zion, right? He's speaking to me, they think, well, we're okay. Nothing can happen to us. And then he tells them, you're looking forward to the day of the Lord. Well, let me tell you, don't look forward to that day of the Lord. Because, uh, you know, it's not going to be good news for you, right? And the beginning of Amos is really very interesting. Woe to those uh, who are in Egypt. Woe to those who are in Ammon. Woe to those who are in Syria. And you can just hear the people saying, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. Woe to those who are in Judea, those in Judah. Woe to those in Israel. Woe, woe, woe. Amos, show us your prophetic credentials now, okay? Uh, Because now you're stepping over the line. So Daniel is saying, we did not listen, and now we're paying the price. See? Uh, And so he's crying, now he's crying out to God. He's not talking to the people, he's crying out to God and confessing this. 
we did not listen. You were right. The prophets were right. And by the way, uh, if you look in the first chapter of Zechariah, and you read the very first chapter of Zechariah, who comes after Daniel, in that chapter, Zechariah basically says the same thing. What he says to the people is, don't be like your fathers who didn't pay attention to the prophets. And so Daniel is uh, acknowledging this. He is confessing, uh, confessing this. We did not pay attention to the prophets. And we meaning our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people. Then he says, righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us open shame as it is this day. To the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away in all the countries to which thou hast driven them because of their unfaithful deeds, which they have committed against you. Open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. Okay, now we're gonna, we'll stop here. But so notice, now he's, uh, for the next number of verses, he's going to compare God to themselves. You are righteous, a tzaddik. You are right. You are right in all your ways. And to us, open shame. In a sense, what he's saying, a face of shame, a face of humiliation, like uh, you know, an open face of humiliation. That's what we are. Okay? And this is depicted by his deportment, fasting, sackcloth, ashes, and then telling the truth the harsh truth about what we, have, what we have done. And so he says, but to us open shame. And then he's quite clear when he says, to the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away, in all the countries to which thou hast driven them, because of their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against you. Now, that is very interesting. Uh, uh, this uh, statement about uh, the men of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, nearby and far away in all the countries. Sometimes we like to make a big deal about the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Israel and Judah. Some like to say the lost ten tribes uh, and then the two tribes uh, that returned. And then there are those who, uh, for some reason, are convinced that all believers are the, from the tribes of Israel uh, and all of that. Well, you know, I mean, people can believe whatever they want, except that it's not in the Bible, okay? And here is a beautiful illustration of that, that Daniel is confessing the sins of all the people. And it's quite clear here, in all the countries. Well, when you know the history, you know that when the northern kingdom of Israel was uh, defeated by the Assyrians, okay? Uh, and it was before, long before, the southern kingdom of Judah went into the Babylonian captivity, okay? And they, they had functioned as two nations for a long time. Daniel here is praying for everybody because he sees them all as one. They're all, as we would say today, all the Jewish people, regardless of where, of where they may be and which captivity it was. 
Okay? So Daniel understands them all as one. Okay? And we could turn to lots of passages in Jeremiah where Israel and Judah are actually used interchangeably. Okay? Speaking of all of the uh, people. But the point, uh, really, uh, for us in this is that Daniel has taken on himself the shame of all their sins. And he's feeling it in the way that he expresses himself and in the way that he prays. He's, in a sense, bearing their sins. He's not taking away their sins, but bearing them in in his uh, prayer, right? He felt responsible. He may not have been guilty for everything that they had done, but he felt responsible, right? And so you are, most of you are familiar with the phrase uh, that uh, Abraham Joshua Heschel uh, said and became very, very iconic with uh, him, his name. Uh, Few are guilty, all are responsible. We have that out on our sign. Few are guilty, all are responsible. That uh, is a marvelous statement and plays out in a variety of ways. For, for Heschel, uh, the context here is really the civil rights movement of the 1960s, where here is a northern rabbi who's an educator in New York City uh, and had really nothing to do with the plight of African Americans uh, or had anything much to do with, with anything related to that problem, but he felt responsible, not guilty, but responsible, and so he became very involved. Uh, and, 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 and so, in that sense, all of us socially, right, we all should see ourselves as not necessarily guilty of every crime that has taken place or the cause of the woes of this world, but rather than simply pointing, uh, pointing fingers and banging over the head with a Bible, uh, to get involved and to see ourselves, therefore, as responsible, and certainly as Messiah followers, we are responsible. In both word and deed, we demonstrate the good news of Messiah, right? But here, in this context, and this is very important for us, that in our prayer life, we also need to demonstrate this, that we need to consciously, proactively confess not only our own sins, but the sins of our people. Listen, in this, we're Beth Messiah congregation. We're a Messianic Jewish uh, congregation. We have a responsibility to bear the sins of our people, not simply point fingers and saying, you need to believe in Yeshua, but, you know, and while that may be true, and that is indeed the answer, we are called to act out, live out Messiah faith. We're called to be like Yeshua. What did Yeshua do? He bore our sins and carried our sorrows. Right? He died with our sins and for our sins. We can't die for anyone's sins. We can't actually take away anyone's sins. But collectively, as a people... We can take responsibility. And that is what it means to say we are them and they are us. We're identifying with our people. And not only Israel, but whatever identifiable group you consider yourself. And that can can keep you in confession for a very long time. 
all right? Uh, let's start with the human race, um, and, and then we can move down from there. But you know, even in our own families, he says our fathers, he gets not only kings, and not only like kings and princes, but our fathers, it gets a little closer to home, you know, and the prophets and so on. And so I would suggest that it might be a healthy prayer for us when we sin and, 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 uh, and oftentimes, you, you know how it is, is that we, uh, we bear uh, character traits and, you know, from our relatives and, and uh, all kinds of issues. Wouldn't it be an interesting thing for us not only to pray, Lord, forgive me, help me to change, but confess the sins of our families. Confess the sins of my father. I mean, biologically speaking. The sins of my mother. The sins of my grandfather. The sins of my grandmother and others. You know, I, uh, when we read uh, in the text, uh, you know, about uh, uh, that God visits the iniquity on the third and fourth generations, what that is not is uh, some spiritual thing that, uh, that even though I uh, know the Messiah, somehow I now am, am, am guilty of all those sins that other people have done. And so I'm under some kind of curse, like there's nothing I can do, and I'm just stuck in this thing. That's not what it means. That's like you're, you're dumping a dump truck onto a thimble. You know what I'm saying? Uh, that is not what that means. But it does, what it does mean is that there is a relationship uh, uh, of ourselves, of our sins, uh, in, in the context of our own lives. And it also means, and this is really good news, and which we'll see in a moment, that for a thousand generations, God shows loving kindness. But for a few generations, uh, he visits the iniquity. In other words, the main point of that is not to count generations. The main point of the passage is how overwhelming his loving kindness is. Okay? However, it is important, I think, uh, that we confess those sins and that perhaps a, a, a familial cleansing can take place. You know, perhaps uh, uh, there's all kinds of baggage that we're carrying from our mothers or from our... And who isn't carrying baggage, right? I mean, really, I don't know anybody. I don't know anybody who is just, no matter how Ozzy and Harriet-esque your uh, uh, growing up was, no parents are perfect. No parents get it just right. And so there's always something from somewhere, okay? And some more profound than others, right? Serious business, right? And, and so I think it is a very healthy and cathartic, I think I said that right, thing for us to confess those sins. And perhaps it will bring cleansing and a real sense of forgiveness to our own lives and perhaps even a release from a particular stronghold of bondage, of sin in our lives. And so I think that Daniel is a very good model for this, not just confessing the sins of his generation, you know, and get us out, uh, get us back to Jerusalem, the sins of his own generation, but he's confessing the sins of previous generations. 
And I think that uh, that uh, certainly does speak to that. Well, finally, I, I, regarding this issue of Daniel's prayer and, and uh, how uh, uh, God shows loving kindness, uh, you know, and, and how in Deuteronomy and in Exodus you have these great statements of God's unfailing love, but yet he repays our sins and so on. So for example, uh, and this is a very interesting observation to make about this passage in Daniel, is if you turn quickly to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7, it's very interesting what Daniel does not say in this prayer. And this, I believe, is his driving reason for crying out to God and not running away from God. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, in verse 9, it says, And I believe Daniel may have very well been familiar with this very text. Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness. He's quoting it, basically. Okay? To a thousandth generation with those who love him and keep his commandments, but repays those who hate him to their faces. To destroy them, he will not delay. With him who hates him, he will repay him to his face. What's interesting about that is Daniel quotes the first part, basically quotes verse 9, but not verse 10. That's very interesting. It doesn't mean that he's unaware of it or that he doesn't believe it, but the overarching emphasis, the overwhelming emphasis here of Daniel, and I believe also with a few generations versus a thousandth generation, which you see in Exodus 34, here he talk in, in uh in Deuteronomy, he talks about repaying those. In Exodus 34, he talks about the different numbers of generations. The overarching emphasis is the loving kindness of God. And that is what is overwhelming to Daniel. Daniel quotes the first part. And that's why he runs to God with the sins of the people. Because he believes that God will forgive. He believes that God's loyal love will be preserved. Now, they have paid the price. In fact, if you do a, a word study in, um, in uh, the Deuteronomy passage, I, we read there it's that God demonstrates uh, his justice when he repays the, the, those who have sinned. So, in other words, God demonstrates uh, his judgment when we sin against him. But overarchingly, he is true to his covenant. So that's why the people went into captivity and a lot of people died and terrible things happened. He demonstrates his awesomeness. He demonstrates how powerful he is. He demonstrates his hatred for sin by how horrific this captivity has been. But Daniel runs to him and says, I know I know that my Redeemer lives, kind of like what, you know, what Job says. I know that you indeed are forgiving and loving. Uh, and so that is what drives him. So as we approach these holidays, may we take this uh, word from Daniel, and may we remember the words of Yeshua in uh, the... Uh, Sixth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, as well as elsewhere, when he says, this is the model of how, how you should pray, right? 
And we know that uh, uh, th this model of prayer uh, is contained in both the Kaddish and the Amidah. Uh, and, and so that's, you know, that's another story for another day. But even today, elements of uh, this uh, are found all over the Siddur. So what did he say? Pray in this way. Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. Hallowed be thy name. Holy is your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then uh, you have uh, a variety of other verses there. If I can just jump down to verse 14. For if you forgive men of their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And so this emphasis on forgiveness, very, very important. But the point is, is that this is basically how Yeshua taught us to pray. Forgive us, right? Uh, and so may we enter into this season uh, confessing our sins, confessing the sins of whatever uh, group we are part of, whether it be our family, our community, our local community, uh, the greater community, uh, what, what have you. Few are guilty. All of us are responsible. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this model of, of confession. Thank you, Lord, for the humility demonstrated by Daniel in his prayer. Lord, he didn't say, oh, Lord, forgive them. He says, forgive us. For he knows his own weaknesses and his own failings. Lord, we thank you that he, in this way, bore, in a sense, the sins of his people. Lord, Yeshua truly bore our sins, truly carried our sins and took them away. Lord, we can't take away the sins of anyone. But Lord, may we bear the burden. May we bear the burden of the sinful condition of this world and not just point at them but may we realize our own responsibility. Lord, may we intercede. We intercede, Lord, right now for the sins of Israel. Lord, we intercede for the sins of our community and of our nation and of our world. Lord, may we not think that just because we are one people or one small community, that one prayer of intercession by one person isn't going to mean anything. Because it certainly meant a lot to Daniel, one man, confessing the sins of an entire people. So Lord, may we learn from Daniel. May we love our people so much that we are willing to take that kind of responsibility and bear those sins and confess those sins. Lord, all of us may have issues with our families. May we confess those sins, Lord, and may it bring healing to our, to our, to our soul, to our person. Lord. And God, we thank you, Lord, that at the end of the day, Daniel did receive a great revelation from you of not only the end of the Babylonian captivity, but of the whole, the whole story all the way to the consummation. And so, Lord, we thank you that, yes, your kingdom has indeed broken into this world in the person of Yeshua. And Lord, uh, thank you, Lord, that, that we have indeed turned from our sins, to follow you, the living God. May we continue to confess our sins. May we continue to find forgiveness and cleansing 
and healing. Lord, as we, as we have a greater worldview of confession, may, may we take it seriously. May it not just be an interesting thing to learn about in the Bible, but may we really apply it to our lives during this month of Elul as we approach Rosh Hashanah. And we pray in Yeshua's name.